man, when I was a pastor in Southern California, this was my dream, was just to meet outside. Why spend all the money on the building? That could go to people who live outside, you know, and never get to go inside. And so if it pours on me a little bit, I'm okay with that. I said, you know, we'll take the electronics down and shout a little bit. But just the thought of all the money we could be saving and serving God's people around the world that are, that are having a hard time right now. This is what they live in. And I think it's a good reminder for us because most of us, we live very blessed lives. All of us do in comparison to the rest of the world. And so, yeah, it's a little cold out here, but you know what? Suffering for the Lord's a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, and that's what we learned. So, um, Happy New Year. Uh, this, is, this is my favorite holiday of the year. I, I don't know if anyone thinks of it that way, but for me, I love New Year's Day. Um, I just like starting over. I love a fresh start. I love second chances. And I know we get that all the time, but there's just something about, okay, 2016 is going to be different. I, I'm going to pursue something different. I, I, I want to be closer. Even this morning as I was praying to the Lord, going, God, I really want this year to be more intimate with you than ever before. Like, can this be the year where I just know you? I just know you deeply. Maybe I experience some things differently with you. Maybe there's a new power that flows through me like never before. Like, I want that. I want it all. And there's, and it gets harder every year because there's more distractions out there. And our world just gets more and more insane with the immediacy of things that we don't know how to be still and be quiet. And I was saying, God, I want to get back to that. I want to have deep, deep, rich times with you so that if you do return in 2016, I want to be so, so incredibly tight with you that it's like it's not even that different. It's like oh, I was already so close and now I finally get to see you. This is it. This is what I've been waiting for. That's what I'm seeking here in 2016. I hope it's the same for you. Um, but, you know, before I jump into... Uh, We've got several things we want to do today, but something that was on my heart uh, last week, last week we we're reading the book of Revelation and the, in the very last chapter in Revelation 22, verse 10, it says, do not seal up the prophecy in this book. Okay, he says, don't, whatever you do, that book of Revelation in and of itself, just that book of Revelation, he says, don't seal this up. Don't, don't, don't hide it somewhere. I mean, the words of Revelation are something to be proclaimed, but I think sometimes we get scared because there's so many different ways to interpret Revelation that we go, well, let's just stay away from that. Let's just not talk about the end times. But the Bible says itself, don't seal up the words of this prophecy. This needs to be broadcast. This needs to be known. And as I was reading certain portions of it, I thought, gosh, I wonder if people even know, like everyone even here knows, some of the most basic things in the book of Revelation about how the world's going to end, things that people, scholars don't really disagree on. Um, there was one thing in particular because I thought, you, you know, with with kids like you saw some babies up here i mean as soon as as soon as they can talk you warn them right of the most dangerous things like hey you don't crawl in the oven when it's on you know you don't touch that 
you don't run in the street. Man, I, I just remember just getting on my kids if they start running on the, like, you know, towards the street as cars are going by. I say, don't you ever do that. You know, never do that. Don't you understand that? Or never, you know, take anything from a stranger. Or if a stranger wants to give you a ride, don't you dare get in the, I mean, you, you think through what are the most dangerous things and just make sure your kids don't do it. Don't play under cars. You know, don't do this. Don't do that. Like you warned them, and I thought, you know, there's some basic things in Revelation that I go, gosh, I wonder if people even know this because this book's been sealed up. And a lot of us didn't grow up in Christian homes that I thought, man, I better at least let you know a few things. Um, like in Revelation 13, um, it talks about in the end how there's going to be this beast. And again, there's this imagery here. But it talks about this time um, in verse uh, in Revelation 13, verse 16. And it, this is something I, I just think, uh, I was thinking, gosh, I got to even tell my little ones about this and just make sure they get it because you never know what's going to happen in life. Um, verse 16, it says, it, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both slave and free, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Okay, obviously there's a lot of questions as to what does that 666 mean? Who does it refer to? There have been different theories in the past and this and that, but I don't want to get caught up in that right now. Okay, I don't want to argue about that. You know, I have my thoughts and everything else, but it's not that clear in Scripture. But what is clear in Scripture is at the end times, there's this some, some sort of being who's able to do miracles, okay? And... Uh, and then there's another being that comes along that, that kind of tells everyone, man, we should worship that, 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 that creature, that being. And then it comes to a point where it says he has so much control on the earth that you're not allowed to buy or to sell unless you receive this mark either on your forehead or on your hand. Okay, and somehow the number of the beast is 666. Okay, not sure what that means. The Bible just says be aware of it and uh, don't take the mark. And it's interesting because I, I never noticed this, but right after Revelation 13 is Revelation 14. You ever notice that? But right after that, right after he talks about the mark of the beast, in, in chapter 14, he says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Okay, so, so right after you've got the beast and everyone, you see, because it's, it's one of those things like we talked about a month ago, following Jesus is about being willing to suffer and going, you know what? If I'm going to defeat my sin, I'm going to suffer on this earth. Remember that? We talked about that. How, look, I can't defeat sin without suffering. 
following Jesus requires suffering. And here you've got the end times when you can't even buy or sell unless you receive this mark. And you're going, but I can't take the mark. And so guess what happens if you can't buy or sell or eat? You're going to suffer. And you're holding on, you're holding on. But then I, I love how chapter 14 says, then there's this other group of people. They didn't take the mark of the beast. They took the mark of Jesus. They were sealed by him. And it's such a great picture. And if, if you look at verse, verse 9 of chapter 14, it says, Another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Okay, I just thought, you know what, I gotta just at least warn. Who knows what's gonna happen in the future? Who knows if this is the last time I'll ever talk to you or see you or, you know, we all go our different paths in life. And I thought, you know, I bet you some people didn't even know about this. Um, and it'd be ridiculous for me not to at least bring it up so that if the time comes, you recognize this is what our faith is about. And maybe there's some up here who don't even believe in any of this. And maybe once you hear of this mark, you'll go, man, maybe this isn't crazy. Maybe this isn't insane. This was prophesied 2,000 years ago, and now we have the technology to do it, and then suddenly it's going to, I mean, it's, it's, we're just getting less and less to, I mean, who carries cash anymore? You know, it's just one of these things and how do you know with credit card fraud and whatever else. I mean, there's just so many things being established that I, I don't know. I just thought, you know what, I got to bring it up because, again, just like you would warn a kid like, hey, don't you ever do this. <laughs> I would say, don't ever take the mark. Um, suffer. You suck it up. You don't you don't give in. This is about perseverance of the saints. You know, as I. As we talked about last week too, in second or last month, Second Peter two, how it talks about how there's the there's the pig that even after you clean him up, he goes right back to its mud, right? Because that's who he is by nature. And that's sad every time we see it, right? I mean, we see it at Project Bayview all the time, because it's kind of a place where we wash people off in a sense. It's like we get them off the streets or whatever else or get them out of prison and we may wash them off and get them detox, help them out. But what happens is sometimes people, just like if you wash off a pig, he's just going to run back into the mud. And sometimes as much as you help someone because their nature didn't change on the inside, they go running back to the mud. They go running back to the same junk they started in. And yet the Bible has a promise. He says you don't have to go back to the mud. What he can do is change your nature so you're no longer that pig anymore. 
no longer a dog that goes back to its vomit, but he can actually change you. See, that's the difference. Again, here, here's the pig. Here's the, here's the person that would take the mark. Is like, man, I need everything right now. I want to eat right now. Give me the mark. I can't resist. I can't endure. I can't suffer for the sake of Christ. I got to just take it. I got to go back to it. But then there's others of us who says we've received the seal, which is the Holy Spirit, and now he makes us a slave to what is right. See, it's, it's not about just being cleaned up and washed off. It's just like when Jesus says, look, if you cast that demon out and you cleanse that person, what's going to happen? Seven more demons are going to come back in. You know, if you empty it out, you clean them out, it doesn't matter. It's only when we're possessed by the Holy Spirit that suddenly he changes us from the inside out and we can't go back to who we were anymore. And this was Jesus' promise to us. And maybe there's some of you today that go, gosh, I... I've been through so many programs and been cleaned up and this or that, or I keep making New Year's resolutions every year. Like, okay, I'm done with 2015, but then I just go right back, right back, right back. And I just got to ask, has Jesus really changed your nature and who you are from the inside? Have you been sealed by him? You know, this week in our reading, we, uh, we also read the story of Cain and Abel. Um, and again, you know, you got the mark of the beast. You've got those who are sealed by God. You've got those who are, you know, by nature, like, like the pig that goes back to his mud, and then those who have a new nature and go to righteousness. And the same way you've got Cain, you know, and you've got Abel. And, and what, I, what I appreciate about this story, especially in our day and age, is how God rejected the sacrifice of Cain. And the reason why I bring this up is I want you to think about something. Okay. The story goes, Cain and Abel, the brothers, bring their offerings to the Lord. Cain, since he was a gardener and worked the fields, he brought a bunch of fruit. Abel, since he was a hunter, he brought him some meat. Seems fair. Seems good seems like God should just accept both offerings. But he says, Cain, that's not what I asked for. I don't want your offering. He rejects the offering of Cain, and he accepts the offering of Abel. See, some of us have a problem with that. Because we don't believe in a God who says, look, I can ask for a specific type of offering, and I'm free to reject offerings. There's always been, since the beginning of time, a sacrifice that's acceptable to God and a sacrifice that is not. An offering that's acceptable to God, an offering that's not. We're going to understand God makes these rules. You have Adam and Eve in the garden. I mean, perfect. Can you imagine if we were in the garden right now? And we could see God right there with us, and he's walking with us, and he's, man, just no fear whatsoever. But he says, hey, don't eat of the fruit of this tree. So he had the right to do that. He's God. And when the people took of the tree, when Adam and Eve took of the fruit, he punishes them, and he casts them out of the garden. So there's a lot we learn about God from the very beginning. And we hear about the serpent who says, come on, God doesn't, 
You, you really think that by eating of that tree, you're going to die? You really think God's going to punish you? Did God really say? And don't you understand? It's the same thing that's going on thousands of years later. It's like people are still saying, come on. Is God really saying that I can't do this, I can't do that? Does God really have the right? As long as I believe in any God, right? As long as I bring some sort of sacrifice, as long as I just show up, he should be happy with that. See, this was my concern about church. Is I think for years, you know, people have been saying, well, just get people in a room. I mean, as long as we get together and we sing a few songs and the Word of God is preached, then God's going to be happy with that. But what I looked at, when I looked at Scripture, when the elders of my past church were looking at Scripture, were going, I don't know about that. It seemed like what God asked for was that we would become a body, like literally like a body to where my finger is, is, is completely attached to me, that anything, anything hurts this finger, my whole body grieves with it. And that's what he wanted. You know, so me as a pastor, as an elder, I'm going, okay, so God, what you want, just like in, in Cain and Abel, you wanted something specific. And so now with church, you didn't want just a bunch of people to show up and not swear for that hour. Like you wanted something deeper than that. Okay, so what you want, you want, you want me to bring you at the end of my life is, is this group of people who would die for you, who would not take the mark, who are willing to suffer for you, a group of people that live like a body. And if this isn't happening, then I'm just bringing fruit to God when he asks for me. You know? And, and so, so this is very important to us. The Bible says that those of us who are believers actually have this supernatural gift, like a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in you for the common good. That means God has given everyone here who says, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, I deeply believe in him. You have some sort of offering to give to the rest of us. You have a gift to offer to the body. And so what God wants is he wants the whole body operating. So it's not enough for you to show up on a Sunday morning. Um, it's not enough for you to just say you're a part of our church. But for you to say, you know what, God, you've given me a supernatural gift. And when I gather in whosoever home I'm gathering in, I want to use this for the other people. You know? And, and for too long, church has been about a speaker and a worship leader and they use their gifts and everyone just shows up and it's like no that's not what he asked for see that that's that, that these were the things that were hitting me a few years ago when we had thousands of people gathering i'm going yeah but that's not what he asked for and i, I really want at the end of my life to bring him what he asked for and so that's why we've broken up into these different smaller homes, the smaller churches, so that you guys can really know each other and operate like a body, so that you can show up and actually use your gift, so that there's this multiplication. Because there's a lot of people who have gifts of teaching, and so it just seems silly if, if there's thousands of people and one guy teaching and one guy using his gift. And it's like, no, okay, God, what you want is you want everyone serving that everyone is a giver because we're a reflection of God. God's a giver. God's always giving. 
and he wants us to reflect him. And so if you have one person giving and everyone else taking, it's like that's not a reflection of the body. God's giving you a supernatural gift. And so I just want that image in your head as we start 2016 is understanding, one, you know, there's always the counterfeit. And, uh, and then, there's, then there's the real thing. There's always the unacceptable sacrifice, then the sacrifice that he loves and is acceptable to him. And uh, he wants a relationship with us. Uh, I forgot who said it earlier. Um, oh, with Mercy, when she was praying, just how we don't want to be a bunch of clanging cymbals, just making a bunch of noise. It's just, you know, he says it's just a bunch of noise unless you really love each other. And what you do, you're doing out of love. And even as I say that, and that comes out of my lips, saying, okay, right now, am I warning you about things to come because I love you, or am I just doing it because it's what I'm supposed to do? You know? Am I saying this because I love you? See, I, as I think about it right now, I want every one of you, like when you stand before God, to know you poured yourself out for his church. You know? I want to know that I sacrificed for you, and I want to know that you sacrificed for me. I want to know that you used whatever God-given gifts, supernatural gifts you have. See, I love you enough to not let you just sit in a service. And your pastors, whom we're going to pray for in a little bit, they love you enough that they're going to call you on things and say, you know, you've been coming for a couple months now, and... I don't see you using your gift, and I want you before God, you know, because this is what he wants for you, is, is he doesn't want you just to show up. He wants this, this sacrifice, this giving, and you're going to be so fulfilled by using this gift. Um, you know, I, I've mentioned all the passages we, we've been reading the last uh, week or two, but I hope you're all doing that this year. Okay, it's the start of a new year, so I great time to start reading through the Bible in a year um, with us. We're on the same passages every day. Uh, if you don't know yet, on your, uh, on your smartphones, um, your, your pastors will send you like a, a paper version or a PDF so that you can just look at the reading every day. But also, if you have a, a phone, um, you can just go to the App Store and download an app called Read Scripture. Um, it's something we've been working on, and it's not in its final form yet we're kind of the test group for it and we're going to improve it as the year goes on but what it does is it kind of describes um, before you read it like like this week we read uh, Genesis 1 through 11 in the last few days but there's a video that explains Genesis 1 through 11 so that you know just in like three four minutes you can understand the flow of it just masterfully done um, by some guys up in Portland it's just brilliant 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 and so we're going through this together so that we really have a good grasp of Scripture this year. Um, in fact, all the past, all the Bible teaching churches in San Francisco have agreed to do this together. Um, we're kind of making this the year of biblical literacy. And then in 2017, we're going to launch it nationwide. But we want to set the pace in San Francisco because that's what we do. And, uh, you know, but, but for the church to set the pace here and say, man, we're going to study the Word of God together. So if you run into someone from Reality or someone from Epic or someone from First Baptist, they're reading the same passage as you. And then the, the Christians in, in San Francisco can actually fellowship together having read the same passages on the same day. Isn't that cool? 
and so, uh, so for some of you who haven't started yet, you'll have to do three days worth today, okay? Because it's the 3rd of January. Um, but let me encourage you to do that. At first I thought, oh man, I'll have to do three days of reading. But you know what I just heard this week? Okay, they were asking me to go to China. I was at this conference, like, we please come, just encourage some of the believers in China. And they were telling me about these teenagers that work out in the rice fields, like impoverished, and how they've started these schools for them so they can be educated. But they're Bible teaching schools. Listen to this. They have about 1,600 kids now, 1,600 teenagers that have memorized the New Testament. The New Testament. Not the books of the New Testament, which some of us can't even name. <laughs> like they can quote the New Testament. Teenagers. So, reading three days worth of reading, you think you can pull that off? Um, I just do that to put us all to shame. Um, but, no, but, you know, like we were reading in Malachi last week. God says, you know what, if you're going to just kind of half-heartedly do this, don't even bother. He says, my name will be great among the nations. And in my name, you know, incense is going to be burned that is pure. And I look at God looking on the earth, and here's these, these kids living in poverty that as they're working the fields, they're memorizing scripture. And according to this pastor, he says, there's 1,600 of them now that can quote the whole New Testament. And I go, you know what? That's work ethic. That's sacrifice for the Lord. That's suffering for the Lord. And sometimes we just need to be encouraged, you know, because sometimes we can be weak and go, oh, my day was rough and this was rough. You know, there's believers that are working seriously. Um, and uh, I just think it's a wonderful gauge as we start off the new year to go, man, something is off in my life. If I can't spend 20 minutes a day, okay? It's just, when you miss a day, you just realize, man, I messed up. How do I not, okay, look at it this way. What if I made a vow to you, okay, personally? I came to you and said, in 2016, every day, I will give you $1,440 every day. Yes, huh? amen. Okay? And I said, look, I'll give each of you $1,440 every day. The only catch is you have to take $20 of that every day and buy me something. That's it. Okay? Think you'll pull that off? Would you guys take that deal? Okay. You think you'd remember to spend 20 bucks on me? Okay. I mean, I, I gave you, you're like, wow. You guys, every day God gives you 1,440 minutes. Every day. I'm not going to live another minute unless he gives it to me. He gives me 1,440 minutes every day. Can I take 20 of it? Say, thank you. Thank you that I'm breathing. Man, can I take some time to know the one who's going to give me life through the rest of this day? Can I just give him 20 bucks back? Like, it, it just seems silly. 
And it's just an eye opener of, man, where is my head if I am too busy and I don't make time for the one who gives me every minute that I have? And so I really encourage you, join with us as we read the scriptures together. Let's be students of his word. Um, let's, let's make this year different than every other year. Let's encourage our friends. A lot of them aren't here today. Um, you know, a little cold. I know a lot of people are sick. And, uh, but let's, let's encourage them to get into this. And uh, the last thing I, I want to do is, man, I want to have a time where, as a lot of you know, this next Sunday, we're going to break off into eight churches. Okay? Like, like a few of you, Man, this was this is so cool. A few of you were with me in my house a couple years ago when we were just sitting there going, okay, I don't know what we're doing, but the dream, the vision is, is right now, we, I don't know, we had like 20 people in my house. And I'm like, the dream is six months to a year from now, I won't be leading this little group. We're going to split in two groups, and we're going to have other guys lead. And then those two groups, you know, six months to a year, they're going to split off, and we'll have four churches, okay? Then the goal is, is after another six months or a year, those four churches will split into eight churches. And again, I won't be, because I don't want this about me. I want to keep raising up more leaders, and we want to do this all for free, you know? Let's do it with volunteers and not spend a dime on this because all that money can be going to people who are suffering. All that money can be going to getting the gospel to people who've never heard it before. And then we can actually use our gifts more and live more like family in these smaller groups. And we'll gather together and have these family reunions. But let's go for this. And, and, we, re, and we did the math and we said, if we do this, then in about 10 years' time, we'll have 1.2 million people. Okay? Okay? It's, it's just... And, and, you know, obviously the Lord's got a blessing and everything, but the power of multiplication. And so right now we're at that stage where we've been at these four churches, which have been just awesome. And I know the hard thing is it's like once we finally feel like a church, you know, once we're like, okay, I love these guys. This is awesome. It's like, okay, now we got to split and turn into two and go through this all over again. But if we don't do that, we'll just become this little ingrown group of people and not concerned about the rest of the world and having a mission for those who aren't with us yet. And someday we won't fit here, Lord willing, and the Lord will provide another place. We'll figure something out. Um, but for now, I, uh, it's a big, big thing when these pastors decide, you know what, I'm going to, for free, shepherd this group of people. And... The thing you have to remember is pastors are no different from you in a sense. In fact, many of you are going to become pastors who aren't yet. Um, you know, some of you guys that are pastors right now never thought you would be, and here you are. And so some of you, you know what, you're going to be in leadership. And the thing you have to realize is even though, like for me, I'm not immune to things. Like, just because I'm teaching right now or I'm shepherding a group of guys, it doesn't mean that I don't have my own problems in life. And it doesn't mean that I don't get tempted by stuff. In fact, I think in some ways the enemy will try to make it worse for the leaders and say, you know what, I want to distract him from leading. I want to keep him from leading. 
In fact, I'm going to throw more temptation his way, and I'll throw more trials his way. You know, because I believe Satan hates what these people are doing. You know, and he'll do everything to destroy their marriages if they're married. They'll do everything to maybe even use their wives to discourage them or pull them out of ministry or whatever. I mean, there's just, it's, it's a war. That's the thing you got to understand. This isn't like a cute little church service. There's a real thing going on where there's a war. And you know what? I, I, I think it's our responsibility as a church to pray for these pastors and lift them up um, before God and dedicate them. Like we dedicate those babies, but you know, I honestly believe this is even bigger. It's like, man, no, we want to, as a body, minister to them because they're going to spend the next few months praying for you by name. That's an awesome thing. That's something we emphasize. If you're going to be a pastor, I want you on your knees praying for your people. And so they're going to be doing for that for you because they love you. And I thought, well, let's start with everyone else praying for them as they lead this year and praying that God would give them wisdom, give them courage, and give them strength. So I've asked Kevin, who's a, another one of the elders of the church, to pray for the, the pastors. I'm going to have you.